Welcome to Mimi UU. I'm Mimi Nicklin, the host of the show. This podcast is anonymous and it's audio only without names to protect from unconscious bias or judgment and to allow true empathy to grow. The goal of the show is to share diverse stories from around the world by giving people a platform to share openly so that other people like you can understand diverse realities from around the globe. We exist to create empathy and not just talk about it. Welcome to Me, Me, You, You. Hello and welcome back to Me, Me, You, You. Today's guest has a story which is in part unbelievable and in part totally inspirational. And of course, that's why we have these stories on the show. The goal of the show is to take these stories out into the world and allow you to step into the shoes of somebody else and their experience and what they saw and felt and heard in order to spread more empathy and understanding all around our world. So our guest today has come here to share a story that's exactly that, and I'm very excited to welcome you to the show. So thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Mimi, for inviting. I would like to start at the very beginning. So perhaps you could tell me why you wanted to join the show and what your story is all about. Yes, Mimi. So um, this story is very emotional uh, because it's closer to my heart and um, it's about my father, um, um, the time that he spent in jail. Um, so I, I believe a lot of humans don't realize and understand what that person can go through and what he is going through, you know, when he's inside. And plus, of course, he's released now. But uh, there, there are some things that I would like to share with uh, the audience. And uh, this story will make sure that people understand how people feel, uh, even if they have committed a mistake or not. So let's begin right at the the start of that. And and as you said, this is a very emotional story. So I thank you for sharing it with all of us. But how did he end up in jail? Yes. So he is um, he's a very loud mouth, I would say, and he hates uh, injustice. So he would like to. Uh, he's a YouTuber, a famous YouTuber in Sri Lanka, I would say. Um, and he is, um, he is actually a very, um, very honest person. And he wanted to always tell the truth in his um, uh, media work, with his work, that whatever he is doing. And um, he, he made a comment uh, for one of these uh, religious, uh, uh, let's say, uh, places in Sri Lanka. And... Um, when he made his, his comment, he was uh, taken into, um, you know, custody for making such comments and um, things like that. But, of course, there was a political, um, uh, definitely an issue. But I would say I would make it very, uh, how do I say, I would make it very short. He was not expecting that. Even even on the day of the the whole arrest, he he called me in the morning, and he was like, you know, I don't feel good, but uh, I just want you to be careful and be safe. 
I was like, why are you saying that to me? And then there was an issue that was going on. And when I saw it on the news, then I was a little shocked. But to be fair, it was just the word that he said, and he did not commit a crime per se. It was just a slip of tongue, we would say, right? Um, so that was that was the base story, yeah. So for all of the listeners out there who perhaps are following this story and are not familiar with uh, some of the realities of the world that he lives in, and of course, we don't want to talk about politics um, or anything uh, complex today. But what we're saying here, if I have understood you correctly, is that he said a, a word or a phrase in public, um, yes. which in the end got him arrested. And that was, of course, a huge surprise to both him and you and the family. Absolutely. Yes. So That's what happened next? The, the, the police come and, and arrest him. They, they explain to him why they're arresting him. What, what happened next? Yes. So he was arrested. And um, I mean, in the night, I mean, this was on the 5th of January, he was arrested. My family, um, I mean, I stay with my husband. So I do not, uh, I mean, we stay in two different locations. And, and I did not know till the time he was arrested and taken into, uh, you know, this particular place. Uh, into the into custody, I did not know. Um, so then, they did not hide it for long. After two three hours, I was outside. I was at a meeting, and then they were like, you know, there's some issue going on. And firstly, when I heard that he was arrested, I felt how it feels um, because I have seen people, even you know, uh, looking at news all the time. I have seen news. And uh, I've seen families and, uh, you know, fathers, mothers getting arrested and how their children feel, right? I, I feel that. So when I felt that, I was totally broken. That was my first, um, that was my first mood. And then I ran, I, I stopped everything. I dropped everything I did at that point of time because you, you feel it because it's your family member. He's in trouble. And, and you run towards it. So I, I went to the place um, to see whether we can talk to him. They did not allow me to allow me or my family to interact with him. They were questioning him as to why, you know, he made such comment. Um, but yeah, so that was the start. And uh, here we go. <laughs> so, I mean, re really unbelievable. I personally find it hard to imagine you know that feeling you're you're explaining so you're you're at work I, I think you just said you're in a meeting you get a phone call you understand he's been arrested and you talk about this feeling that for the first time you were able to feel something that you had seen on tv before with with other people's families help our audience understand what what does that feel like um I would say it feels like um it feels like you have lost someone and you're not able to get in touch with them ever. It's it's some kind of it, it's something like that. And then our emotions flow because I was crying from the time I heard my father getting arrested. And then uh, when I spoke to my family, I had to um, ensure and I had to keep them calm because one thing about this whole situation is that. I had to be strong. We were together in this, so 
that was the start, yes. And once you you pulled the family together, and I can imagine, you know, that's very difficult. You're talking about being the oldest and you have to move from, you know, the emotions you have, you're crying, you're in shock, and, and suddenly you're in charge, right? Now you're leading the family. So he's in the police station, you're there, you're not able to, to talk to him. But what happened next? This was not the police station per se, it was a place called CID. Uh, crime, a criminal investigation department. So I was outside and um, I was outside with my family because I, I had to travel like uh, five to 10 kilometers to, uh, you know, to the station or the place where he got arrested. They did not let him, let him or us interact. That is the first thing. And then um, the saddest part is it is all news, right? For even the TV channels in in, in the country, it is all news. We as a family were all together outside waiting for a chance to speak to him. And here comes the media and, and, and all these people, you know, with the cameras and we were all emotionally drained at that time. And when the cameras were focusing, even the little bits and pieces of us being outside and, you know, waiting and, you know, all these question marks. Uh, I'm just reimagining the whole situation right now and trying to explain it to you. It was, it was unbearably hurtful when they did that. But I understood this is reality. They have to report whatever it is happening in the country, despite of all the things happening. And I told my family, let's wear a mask so that they cannot recognize us. So we all, uh, you know, wore, uh, we, we were wearing a mask and then we were outside, but we did not get a chance to see him on that day. And we were there till 1 a.m. But they said they're not letting us see him. So that was the first day, day one. And so at this point, you obviously have no idea how your father is where he is other than the fact you know he's inside this building um you've expressed how difficult it is to have the media intervene with such a, a personal emotional moment so when you went home to bed that night what what were you thinking um to be honest we all were not sleeping at all we went home even from like 1 a.m we when we were at home like my mother so we have this tradition like when we you know get together if something's wrong we would not leave anyone so we were together in this and she made us a cup of tea in the night i i did not know how she had the strength to do that but she did that and i was telling her we are going to take him out and we're going to ensure that he's definitely coming out so when we went out we were just uh, when we went home we had this togetherness and that's where even the family bonding started uh, becoming stronger after a decade you know um, we are usually not that really close but I felt like there's a bond and there's a reason why we're all in this together so we got together and we started talking and making plans as to what we can do to get him out of this situation because he's also um, medically, uh, I mean, he's, he's unfit in terms of his health. And uh, we knew that. And he is a very sensitive guy, though he is a loud mouth. 
my gosh, what an absolute ordeal. And when did when did you then see him? So we're on night one at the moment. When did you first get to see or, or perhaps hear from him that he was okay? He was taken to courts from the criminal investigation de department. He was taken directly. He was escorted by around, um, I would say, six to eight men. And I was just thinking to myself how proud I should be because my father is escorted. I mean, though he's there in that situation, he was smiling as well because we saw him at the courts when he was getting off the van. He was taken to, uh, you know, uh, he was... He was taken and and then when he was getting down like he was like i'm here don't worry guys you know i'm 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 coming out truth will win that those were the exact words he was telling in in the language and he was like then then we got a chance to see him uh he was wearing the same clothes he was wearing the day before and we knew how uncomfortable that would be for him that was the first thing that my mother told me you know he's a very um how do I say? He's a very, uh, he complains a lot about his, uh, you know, uh, cleanliness and all. He doesn't like to uh, stay away from those things. So adding a little bit of that and knowing that he's in this situation right now, we all were like, we cannot imagine. And then straight away, he was taken into a, a cage-like place. It, it was basically the jail, like the, the one in the courts. There, there's this, um, I would say... This is all I can explain, like a cage, right? We cannot go near him. We can only see him at a distance, maybe uh, 300 meters away or so. I, we cannot reach out. We cannot talk. We are not allowed. Our hearts were like beating so fast. And we were thinking, what can we do? What are we going to do? But yeah, this is what happened day two, yeah. So I want to be really sort of clear about where this story has, has taken a turn here, because we have a man who uh, you've described as a loud mouth. So he likes to talk. He likes to share. Um, on the 5th of January, he, he says something that is not liked. He is taken away and arrested. And within two days, you are watching your father in a cage from a few hundred meters away. I, I can't even imagine uh, the stress, the trauma of that. How do you think other people around you were responding? I'm, I'm sure there were people there with you that day, perhaps media again, uh, other people. What, what was the environment like? Did you think other people had empathy? Were people understanding? What was it like? Um, well, maybe uh, talking about the most important thing, what other people felt. I told my family the first thing is do not talk to anyone about this situation. Let's be stronger and stronger in our um, in our arena, the family arena. We should be together in this, um, especially when it comes to the, the other members of the family, like let's say the extended fam uh, family members and the friends. Some of them, they called and they were like, I'm really um, sorry about your father. I mean, they, me they meant it. Like, there were a lot of people who spoke to me. But there were also people who were making public comments saying it's very good that this happened to him. And I'm still thinking, why do you even say those things when a person is in trouble for real? How can you even feel that way? 
I mean, you you cannot be a human if you if you say that. It's it's so difficult to feel that way because you have to have empathy towards any person, even even if it's a bad person. You should feel okay. Why is he or she doing it? Maybe there's a reason, right? So we really did not uh, have any um, uh, focus towards the other people's comments. We were really focusing on as to how we can take him out. But we have seen during the process as to how many people um, were kind to us. Even even the police people, they were like, we really enjoy your um, work, sir. That's, that kind of respect was also given to my father when he was inside uh, because he was he's a he's a talker he's he's doing a lot of things he can change minds he can he can influence in a in a very good way so i felt like we should focus on taking him out not uh, not focusing on the comments and being sad about it over and over again because the situation is on and we have to do something about it I, I imagine for many people in this audience who live around the world in countries perhaps where these things can't happen, there is more of a there is more of a respect or or a, a safety, shall we say, around free speech and and being able to yes. speak. Um, but in this story that you're sharing with us today, we we have your father who is of influence, if not an influencer per se in today's language, but he's of influence. And, and you're explaining to us now that even though he's in he's in this jail, there are policemen who are respectfully saying, we really enjoy your work, sir, and we're supporting him. Now, obviously, he's, he's out now, and we'll cover in a minute how he got out. But when you speak to him today, does he remember that from, from that time? Does he remember feeling that sort of empathy and respect from the policemen around him definitely he was he was feeling happy he, he always whenever i meet him let's say over the weekends i visit him he's like you're the person who took me out and he he says you know i had people who respected me who were kind to me he still remembers those and he's like i'm so happy that you know at least one person must have enjoyed my work and and gave those comments and helped him out throughout the process I think it's such an inspiring mindset because for any of us who share our voice in any way in the public forum, I think exactly what you just said will resonate with so many people. At least somebody likes my work, right? For, for every one person. But let's let's go back to this, this moment of this cage that you were telling us about. He's at the court, he's in a cage. That was day two. How many days did he stay in jail and how did he, he get out of court and what happened next? So 47 days and around um, six to eight uh, court visits were there. So every Tuesday um, for the, uh, you know, within the 47 days, like every Tuesday, we used to visit him 9 a.m. at the courts. And we have this hope where we, uh, you know, we will see him out today. We will see him out, you know, the very next day. But, you know, around six um, court visits or court sessions, the attempts were unsuccessful. We could not take him out. And and then we realized we'll have to have a strategy to take him out where we have to talk to um, a lot of uh, individuals uh, where they will help with their advice, guidance, because we are playing with 
law. We cannot uh, we cannot do anything from our hands, and you know, law is is different in in many places in the world. So here in our country, um, it plays in a in a very um, I would say a very funny way, but not not disrespecting. But I would say we were thinking of things, but different things happen. And when he was inside, even even the prison uh, prison uh, visits, uh, Mimi, I would like to highlight those visits probably in the in the conversation. There's another separate, like a different experience I would like to share with the audience. But um, he says he's a man of steel since he's out right now because whatever the things happen inside and the days that he spent, we cannot even imagine a minute at a place where we feel like it's prison, right? So it's it was difficult for him, but now he's he's out there sharing his story. So let's let's talk about that prison. You said you wanted to share a little bit about the experience and and I agree with you. I think it's incredibly hard for any of us to truly understand what it's like to spend 47 days in a cell sleeping, eating, washing yes. or, or not. So let, let's share with the audience a little bit so they can understand more, they can empathize more with your father during those 47 days. Yes. So the first um, the first thing I would say is um, for any prisoner, they give a number of days or let's say if it's Tuesday, they give Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday, three days per week. And that was my father's visiting uh, duration and the days, right? So when we when we went to the prison and uh, at the entrance, these people, I'm just thinking sometimes they're emotionless, like they don't have any kind of emotions. That's what I saw. But we thought that's their job, probably the, the job had made them, you know, think or do things like that. So when we take food to the prison, we cannot take anything and everything. We can only take certain things that they have mentioned. For instance, if you take, I, I hope it's okay for me to speak about the food. Um, if you take chicken, you cannot take chicken with bones. You have to, uh, you have to separate them. If you take um, different types of meals or let's say uh, meats or uh, food, you have to ensure to adhere to their rules. If not, what they do is they use their raw hands and they remove everything right in front of your eyes and they mix and they just uh, poke into the food and they don't uh, really, they don't really care whether the food is clean or not. They just tell us to open everything because the food usually gets um, very bad when it comes to, you know, opening it every time and in poking it, you had to preserve it right, right? So that time I felt uh, my father is going through something really unfortunate and um, he was not even having, he didn't have a blanket or a pillow to sleep. He was just sleeping on the on the ground and they only give four minutes per day to shower right he did not have anything uh, 
to even read. They don't give books. They don't give uh, pens because those can be used as weapons, they say. They don't give any type of uh, um, cosmetic or anything because they have been using them unnecessarily. So I felt like, you know, visiting him and when they call his name and the number, at that time, they write a card where a small, like a token. So I still have those tokens with me and his number, ward number and his name. And it, it says daughter in that. And they, they, they scream out loud saying, this person's daughter, are you there? You have only five minutes. And when you enter to a place to talk to him, um, you see multiple prisoners on the other side and there's a center uh, like a once again like a cell kind of a, a place no phones we had to speak and it was like a fish market basically like everybody was talking talking and you cannot hear clearly clearly as to what's happening and he was like the only thing he said was please take me out and when he made that request to me I felt like the whole world was crashing because your father asking you to take him out of the prison where you know you cannot do it at once or you can do it with the family. But that moment, it was just a couple of minutes and you don't talk to him, you know, for days after that sometimes because it's very limited. I felt like even the other people who were in the room with me uh, who were talking to their loved ones, they were crying and they were saying, you know, they have not done a mistake. They were uh, probably, you know, tipped off and taken into prison because of other reasons. Even I, I had a chance to speak to all the, the family members of these, uh, you know, prisoners sometimes whenever I meet them because we get a, our, uh, you know, near the visiting uh, station. There's a visiting station. So we spent like one hour talking to each other as to why uh, your family member is inside, but I don't enjoy that. But I was, I was feeling their pain. I was like, I understand you. And uh, yeah, that was the story of the prison. And it was very hard for all of us. Uh, but because whenever we went inside, we speak to him. It feels like we want to touch him. We want to feel him and talk to him, but you cannot do that. It's all limited. And when you come home, when you come out of the prison, you feel like, when is the next day you're going to see him? So that kind of a feeling and that kind of um, uh, situation was there. It's extremely hard to imagine seeing your father in an environment like this. Uh, as you said, you know, he's sleeping on the floor. Um, he's not got proper food. He's only allowed to wash at certain time periods. Uh, he can see you every few days for five minutes in this environment that you've described as a fish market and, you know, very noisy, very chaotic. When you leave the prison, you get home in your car or your taxi home. Can you explain to us how do you feel leaving him behind? Uh, actually, I would say um, every day I come out of the prison, I cry. Uh, that's because that's the only way that I can express and um, you know, throw out my feelings about how he's feeling, and and um, those days for the for those forty seven days, even we as a family, we couldn't eat even one meal per day properly. 
I mean, we were not able to swallow. We were not able to just think because we knew someone is behind and we did not know what he is going through. So the moment I step out of the prison, I always think, you know, to, I mean, we, I, we cannot do anything but pray or, you know, talk to our family and say, hope he's okay. Hope he will do better. Um, you know, we want to take good food and make him feel good. And because for me, as the elders of the family, I just have to keep other people strong and I cannot cry in front of them. So I always make fun and, you know, jokes and he must be enjoying his time in the prison. He must be advocating and, and telling people about, you know, his life and stories. So those things did come you know, to my head when I stepped out. And one more thing where I always think is, don't know how he's even sleeping, how he, I'm trying to imagine, because when I saw the environment inside, I know he cannot have a life there. You cannot even breathe properly um, because everything is dirty and it's all um, not right. A human cannot stay inside of such places especially in our country. Um, so those were the feelings that ran through my head, but had to stay, had to stay strong, um, you know, to get him out. It's, it's an unbelievable expression of, of strength um, and resilience in those times. 47 days later, he eventually does get out of the prison. Let's talk about that day when you found out he's he's coming out um, and the morning of which you went to to finally meet him. Tell us a little bit about that moment. Yes, on that day, uh, it was the happiest, happiest day of my life because when we walked into the courts as a family, uh, when the judge was giving his judgment or his uh, wording, he was... He was telling, um, so I'll get to the bottom of it, the last part. Initially, my heart was like beating, like I think a hundred, it, it was like, it was beating so fast. I could not explain. I thought at one point it'll just blast and I'll die there. But my family, we knew he's going to step out of the courts to, today. Let's say that that was the day. It was uh, 21st of February. And when he, when when the final judgment was out, he looked at us and he was like, he expressed that he loves us so much. And when when we got um, closer to him, all of us as a family, we hugged him. We felt our father is back, and we were like, oh man, he's he's just you're still there and we were expressing that love to him and he was crying as well he was like why didn't you guys take me out before and we were like you know trying to explain and he walked out of the courts um very happily and he was hugging us throughout and i had an opportunity to uh escort him to the vehicle that i was uh, driving and uh, that little time I think the entire courts, um, the audience, or let's say the, the the people who were there, they were like, they saw so much of love, so much of togetherness. Especially this situation helped us to bond more. 
in terms of a family uh, we we became we became so closer and i cannot imagine and it, um, it's really difficult and hard to explain the expression but i think initially i was saying we felt like he's back and he's alive so we were very happy to see him out and i again i it's very hard to imagine that that happiness and that uh, like you said your heart beating until you thought you might die there waiting for that moment uh, so you get home and you get out of the car he's back at his house um tell us a little bit about what that was like for someone that has been away for 47 days in such a horrendous environment finally opens the door of the car and steps out into his his home his driveway tell us a little bit about that moment yes i think he was given a very very warm welcome especially when it comes to um the neighbors and my family we had crackers outside for him firecrackers and it was so loud that we had to welcome him and we told him you know it's good if he can um bathe outside and come into the house because of the uh, you know germs and things like that and then here comes the dog uh, his uh, favorite pet um, and he he came running he was he was feeling so upset for the 47 days without him and we saw that love even the even that little animal he was he was giving out so much of love he was like he showed his expressions you know i missed you and where were you i was finding i was searching for you and look he's looking into my father's eyes and my father was hugging the fellow for like i think 10 minutes or so and he was he was welcoming and even the rest of the family we were having a moment and what he said was thank god i'm home i'm home and he was touching the gate he was he was feeling basically everything in the house saying i'm back i just cannot imagine is it a dream this is what he said and he felt that he was living on that day after stepping inside the house but sometimes he is telling he still can feel the the ground the the floor he slept and 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 the environment and the smells and you know a lot of things the aroma he he went through but when he came into the house like i said he felt like life is back mm mm-hmm. and i mean that's been two and a half months now that he's been home what do you feel i mean other than the memories which you've you know beautifully taken us through today what do you feel you i want to say learned uh, i know that's probably not the right word from such a traumatic experience but as a family what did you take away from that and and how have you managed to overcome that trauma because this was a a significantly traumatic experience for your father and and all of you around him so two and a half months later how is the family yes. and how have you got through this time so when he was back we uh, we did not remind him about his stay at the prison or anything like that we we promised to all of us all of each other we said we're not going to talk about the situation but if he wishes to talk about it and if he wishes to ask what what happened and as to what he went through inside yes 
let's speak to him and console him with anything he wants. What we did was, even though we were traumatized for the 47 days, we did not, uh, we did not uh, give up on him. He knew that. We came every single day. We got an opportunity to visit him. So he was talking about those things and we... We were trying to cover things up for him, saying, you know, let's go out to the beach. Wherever you like to eat, we can take you out. And we wanted to do medical checkups for him. We did a lot of things around. And then he was he was like, did you guys really miss me? I said, no, we did not miss you, but we missed your loud mouth. That's what. <laughs> we took you out. <laughs> we got you out. So we were, we were basically trying to give him... Um, some kind of assurance that we were not traumatized. We, we we were sad, but we knew that you would come out. So we did not go to show him because we know, and especially I know, that he was definitely traumatized and his mental health is in the recovery mode since he's out right now. And um, I was trying to make him know that we are there for him and as a family, we should also feel, um, we should empathize on any person who is going through such situations. Um, so he was expressing his experience and, you know, emotions that he went through inside. But we, we tend to not talk about it in front of him or we do not do that. Because um, as a part of the healing process, we thought, we have to let him come out of that situation. And um, I think after after two, three months, I think it's been a few months now. So we we still make fun about it when he's making fun. We, we don't go to uh, talk about it much. But he's telling a lot of things about people who were uh, helping him out inside, talking to him. Um, he was also called the... Um, uh, the speaker uh, inside the prison. He he ensured that he influenced a lot of younger guys and a lot of people saying to never give up. You know, if you have committed something, you have to, of course, go through the punishment. But in life, we meet a lot of people and he's telling that it is one of the greatest experiences, not, not very happily, but people don't get to the prison easily when they do a mistake yeah but he says it's 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 a great experience that he can speak about and tell people as to why uh you should not uh, you know give up if you have not done anything wrong you should always have faith so he's what happy story he's happy yeah and he's now uh impacting other people and I think that that mindset of, as you said, not a happy experience, but an experience which he can now use to encourage other people is, is unbelievably inspiring. And for you as, as the daughter, the eldest daughter, um, who, who played a huge role in you know, getting him out of that situation, as a woman, as a leader of your family, how are you and what would you like the audience to understand you went through as a person? What what can they understand more about your experience? I would say I became stronger and stronger from the day he was, um, let's say the day he went inside or went into the prison. 
I did not give up on him. And and especially when it comes to the trauma that affected all of us, um, and especially me, I was always thinking and I knew I should not uh, weaken myself or um, tell people it's not going to happen. So um, I think I came out of this whole situation very well because I was always having faith, positivity, despite of him being inside, I was always thinking this can happen. Because maybe if you love something and if you if you do it with love and if you do it with faith, it it works magically. And and we knew that things would be okay. Things would always be all right because we did not give up. We always tried. And um, it was difficult in the first few weeks for me. I was having headaches and uh, non-stop headaches, to be very frank. I was going through a little bit of medical issues as well myself. And I could not um, I could not think. I could not think properly, clearly. But for the listeners, I would say, if you go through something like this, you should not, uh, you know, put yourself into a, a, a dark room and lock yourself because something is happening to you or your family member. You should always see the daylight of it, see the bright side of it, talk about it to some someone who's comfortable with, who is a listener. And I had I had a couple of listeners and I had a couple of mentors who supported me, uh, who gave me so much of love and kindness. And I was happy when they, li- they were listening even when I was crying, they were listening and they were like, it's fine. You cry, cry your heart out. You tell us how you feel. That's what we need. We need people to listen to us. We need people to tell us if something is wrong, if someone's listening and if one person at least gives us that attention, I think we have already won. So that itself actually was very healing. And, and I had to heal myself. Nobody else will come into my uh, life and do it. I had to do it. So it, it was a great experience. I am totally inspired and mesmerized by your self-empathy. In fact, the the understanding of yourself and your strength to overcome that. Um, and I want to say thank you so much for coming onto the show today to share this story. Because as I said at the very beginning, I'm going to make the assumption that the majority of listeners will not have been through an experience like this before. And it's only through listening, which you poignantly pointed out just now, that we can understand each other more and the realities of our world. My final question is to all of my guests on the show. This is an anonymous first show. We don't use names or locations in order to allow people to truly empathize without barriers, bias or judgment. But would you like to remain anonymous in the show today? I would like to remain anonymous, but about my location, I think I I was um, I was out. I, I spoke about it um, from Sri Lanka. Thank you, thank you very much for joining us, and for all of the listeners out there today. Thank you for joining this story, and I hope that you took away from it as much as I did. Some of the moments that really caught me in this story today was the quote that the truth will always win, which came from the father in this story. At the the deepest and darkest moments of his experience, 
that real optimism. Um, and you heard the storyteller today talking about the pride that he felt all the way through that process. I also really took away some strength from the idea that through all this experience, the family became closer. And I think you heard our guest today in many ways talking about bonding and coming together again and talking again after 10 years and, and really building closeness. And then the final piece that really was very powerful to me for obvious reasons given our show was the commentary at the end uh, when our guest said, you should find your listeners. Um, and she went on to say that once you've done that, you have already won. And I think so much of this show is about just that, about finding people who will listen to you, who want to understand you. And of course, in return, becoming a listener for others out there in the world. We have a huge deficit of empathy, a deficit of understanding, and listening is truly the backbone to fixing that. So thank you for joining us today and hearing this story of passion and family, resilience and trauma, but ultimately a story of hope and togetherness that can inspire all of us to come through these situations with pride and optimism and of course a mindset to always learn. So thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Mimi. Thank you for joining us today on Mimi UU. This episode is one in a series that has been designed to create empathy in our world. If you would like to join us on the show, please click on www.joinmimiuu.com or follow us across social media at Mimi UU Show. I believe that the more the world talks about empathy, the more empathy the world will have. And I hope that this show is the beginning of doing just that.